Alabama. They're man-made beaches, so they're not the greatest. So when people come here, it's usually uh, the older crowd looking to play some slot machines and table card games. Yeah, a buddy of ours, he puts on fights, or at least he used to. And I Mm -hmm. think they went down to Biloxi, or we're talking about going down there to one of the casinos, because that's usually where they put most of the fights on is at casinos. Yeah, they do have some now and then casinos. They have them at the Biloxi Coliseum as well. That's centrally located here, so we have a lot of local local fighters here. Isn't Alan, isn't Alan Belcher from there? Yeah, yeah, he's from Deiberville. It's only about five or six miles away. In fact, my daughter went to his school for a year. Oh, really? Because what do you call mm-hmm. it? Um, my buddy that we were talking about with the, was doing the fights. <clears throat> they actually um, were going to team up with him and bring him down there. This was like five years ago or something like that or six years ago. Yeah. Yeah. He's a nice guy. I've met him a few times. Yeah. I trained with him a long time ago uh, here in Memphis. Uh, Cause I think he used to live in Arkansas at the time. So he would drive over here to Arkansas. This is before he became in the UFC or anything like that. But he was always a nice guy back then. He's massive. Now I saw a, a picture of him. Like, I guess he's doing a, a bare knuckle boxing now. Yeah. I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's massive. Cause I think when I'm I surprised. Met him, he was like, Maybe 170 he was fighting that. So he's got to be like two something now. He's at least 205 or 220. See, I haven't seen him in a while. Is he still, you know, big muscular guy or has he put on some pounds? Uh... No, no, no. He's muscular. Yeah. He's, oh, okay. he's got this big beard now. He looks totally different than what I recall. Okay. I met him. I'm really surprised he's actually fighting still after he's that detached retina he had. Right. That's what I was thinking as well. When you said that he was doing bare knuckle boxing, I figured, you know, I know he was doing jujitsu matches for a while because, of course, you don't have the same kind of contact. But I'm shocked to hear that he's doing something so uh, so brutal. Yeah, I think he actually got a championship for whatever organization he's in. I want to say I saw that. Wow. Because a buddy of ours has a fitness uh, meal plan. Uh, Not a meal plan, but it's like a challenge they do. It's called My Diesel Physique. And uh, I know that they're pretty close to Allen. And I saw them post something about like his next, next upcoming fight or something like that. Hmm. It was interesting. Are you a big MMA guy? I, you know, I love watching it. I've never trained for it. Uh, I did martial arts for about 13 years when I was younger from uh, 10 to 23 years old. But then when I left Sacramento and came to Biloxi as an instructor for the air force, um, I, I couldn't find a place that I really liked. Um, my instructor in California kind of, he promoted me fairly quickly, which was kind of, it was a bad thing for me because I got my third degree black belt in Taekwondo while I was there, which is, you know, it's more for athletics than it is for fighting. And, uh, so when I came here, a couple of the places that I went to wanted me to teach and I wasn't really into that. I wanted to just kind of continue learning. Um, I tried boxing for a little while. It turns out I'm not that great at that. And Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and all that hadn't really hit the scene just yet. So I fell out of that whole thing. Had I been born five years later, I'm sure I'd love to be in mixed martial arts. But, yeah, no, I never really got into it. I love watching it, though. I still watch UFCs all the time. Who's your favorite fighter? Ooh, that's a good question. Cowboy Cerrone. And he just laid down his gloves. That was a really sad moment. Man, when I saw that, I was like, man, this guy. I was like, no, no, no. Because yeah. I, I, le- yeah, I saw him start leaning down, you know. I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Man. And but I've yeah. seen him. 
I've seen him unstrap his gloves in the, in the octagon before because he was upset with his performance. So at first I didn't really think anything of it, but you know, it was really respectful the way he was just like, Hey, you know, he's got something to say, let him do his thing first. And he had just finished talking about how he wanted to get his 50 fights in the UFC. That was surprising. What is he at right now? You know, I didn't look it up, but I don't think it was 50 because he was talking about still having a couple more in him. Mm. Yeah. Cause he, he has 55 total fights. Mm -hmm. You know, you did W, what is it? WEC. WEC. Yeah. yeah. And like he, um, he's, they say that he's probably the greatest non-champion ever, ever, ever fighter, never to win like the gold. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He's, he's definitely, I mean, all the stuff that he does on the side, I mean, he's just, I don't want to say he's an adrenaline jump. He he is though. You know, he, he just loves living life, having fun. Do you know that story he had on Rogan where he was like almost drowned in that cave? I was just thinking about that. Yeah, he does those deep cave dives, and he got confused and turned around and thought he was done. Yeah, man. Some people live on the edge, man. I guess that makes you, you have to kind of live on the edge to want to get in the cage and fight another man, though. Yeah, you really do. I don't think that that's the type of person I could have ever been to just, you know, get in the cage. It's, I don't know, man, the nerves. Yeah. I know a lot of people like, um, who was it, Diego Sanchez? And uh, back in the day, it was... um, not Kenny Florian, but there was another guy. He was into judo, and he was in the earlier days. He talked about how the nerves got to him so much that he was just throwing up before every fight, and it got to him to the point where he was taking um, like uh, pain pills and stuff all the time. Really? And got addicted to them because it was just too much for him to handle. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, it's a different breed of human that wants to fight another person for money. Like yeah. I said, I love watching it, but like I'm with you. I don't think I would. I would. I had a path to choose. I think that's not the path I would go down. <laughs> I mean, cause like, it's not only that you're fighting; you have to worry about like losing in front of other people, um, potential brain damage. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot that goes with it. Like I said, we we sit there and we watch it, but it's like uh, basically watching a car crash. With two humans over and over and over again. Because they always try to say it's safer than boxing. But come on now, man. That's just that's just PR shit. That's just Dana White trying to spin it so it doesn't look so barbaric. <laughs> I mean, how much do the gloves weigh? Like a, a six ounces or something four, like that? Four yeah, ounces? four or six ounces. Yeah, they're pretty light. And, you know, there's been talk about changing those gloves forever. And they still haven't done it. Because usually, like, especially in the UFC, they get a lot of eye pokes in the... Right. Um, because of those gloves. Because they don't close up completely. Especially yeah. if you're John yeah. Jones, you're always poking people in the eyes, it seems. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> you see Israel Adesanya's fingernails? No, no. Was he sharp on this one or something? Well, not sharp, but he has, like, French tips. Oh, really? And, he, yeah, he was displaying them. They asked him about them at the uh, post-fight. And they're like, how do you get away with that? He said, well, they're not that long. The ref looked at him. He was a little confused, but they're not that long. They're just pretty. He's an interesting Still seems guy, a little man. dangerous. He is a very intelligent guy. Yeah, I love I love watching him fight. I love his interviews too. He's very charismatic. He is very well very well spoken uh, for sure. I saw him on the Rogan podcast as well. Yeah, he's an interesting character. How do you think he would do against John Jones? Oh man, you know there's a bit of a size difference, but um, I think because of where he's at in his career right now, and the fact that he's been fighting like consistently, whereas John Jones has been sidelined for so long. I, I think Israel's got him. He's got that Anderson Silva mindset where he's just, he's so intelligent. You yeah. can tell he has so much fighting intelligence that 
he's very accurate with his punches and his kicks and just he's not scared. Yeah, because like that's the thing with John. John is obviously an amazing fighter. He's had some off the ring stuff that's or outside the cage stuff that's not so wonderful, but mm-hmm. he's definitely a force to be reckoned with. You can't deny what that man does, has done. And with the right. time off he's done too. Like he he's fucked up so many times and still has records over people that have been consistently fighting. It kind of makes you wonder how good he'd be if he just kind of kept his nose clean. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, because you know, it's like when Michael Jordan retired from basketball and then the Rockets won those two championships in between, remember? And then like as soon as he came back, they wanted another three peat. It's like, damn, the best of the we can only win when the best is around round. Well, that's like yeah. Daniel Cormier. Daniel Cormier would not have been the least the light heavyweight championship champion if John had never messed up. Yeah. Because it's just yeah, like that's they, probably say, true. they say that uh who is it? If it wasn't for Kamara Usman, Kobe Covington would be the champion. Like everybody yeah, has has their person that just has their number. And yeah, like it's John like they're always had, Yeah, John always had Daniel's number, just like mm-hmm. uh, Usman has Colby's number. Yeah, and I think that's the reason why Connor won the when when he was winning back when you know Obama was still in office. It's been a while. Yeah, <laughs> but he, he got in people's minds, you know, and he had that that belief in himself, and I think that's really what made him what he was. Yeah, I mean, nobody had done anything like that to uh, um, what's this? Aldo, Jose Aldo. Oh yeah, yeah. And then what one punch and he's practicing this punch in the locker rooms beforehand and he goes out and does it, knocks him out. And then he got a punch land on him at the same exact time. Pretty much. He just was able to explore mm-hmm. it a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely yeah. had that mind game mentality, but then he started running into people like Nate Diaz and, you know, obviously Khabib. Yeah. Cause Nate doesn't care. Yeah. They, <laughs> he's himself. And that's, he's probably, as far as my favorite fighters go, one of my other favorite fighters because he's just himself. Yeah. Yeah. Him and his brother are a different animal. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. They go out and do these, these Ironmans and triathlons and all this on their time off. That's their downtime, you know? Yeah. It's like, uh, I'm going to ride a bike, run and swim. Right. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Most people don't want to do either of those at, at all separately. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, oh, who was I just thinking of? Um, oh, I lost it. Yeah, the Diaz brothers, and there was someone else. That, oh, so you mentioned Colby Covington. The reason why I was talking about how Nate is so real is, you know, Colby Covington was about to get let go from UFC. You heard about that? Yeah. And then he changed his whole persona. Mm-hmm. He did that whole WWE persona. So that way people hate him, but he's interesting now. Yeah. It's like the Foley thing. They want to see him lose. Yeah. Exactly. But he was boring because he's a wrestler and people don't like to watch that. So they were tuning out and he wasn't putting butts in seats. So Dana was going to let him go. It's so crazy because like you have like people like Cowboy and who else was on a kind of Nate's on a losing skid, but mm-hmm. you know they're entertaining. So they get to keep around him a little bit longer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cowboy was on a heck of a losing streak. That was probably the longest one. I think of probably of anybody before they got let go. And I don't think he would have ever been let go. Well, it's also like, you know, like losing streaks like Clay Guida, because he's so exciting to watch, they kept him right. around forever. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. He's he's a fun guy to watch, man. Him and uh, 
what was his name? Oh, Sanchez. Him and Sanchez when they fought, that was a great fight. Oh yeah, they did recently fight, did they not? Yeah, it wasn't too long ago, a couple of years, I think now. And then Sanchez got caught up with that Colt guy. It was really strange. Yeah. Because wasn't the guy like smacking him in the face or, <laughs> yeah. or doing something? I don't know some, what was going was on behind the scenes. Stuff. And then I yeah. think he came out and he's like, I had to let the guy go. It's like, you well, think? Yeah. Like they went into the this meeting and whoever this guy was, I don't remember his name, but he like confronted the people that were in this meeting, other um, people on the board of the UFC and was trying to defend Diego Sanchez and, and saying that he wasn't getting paid enough and they weren't giving him enough respect. And everybody's like, who are you? <laughs> yeah. Cause I know like he even had a problem with Dana and was like Sean Shelby or one of the matchmakers saying that they were yes. like, fucking all the girls on the roster. <laughs> it's just like, come on, man. I don't That's know. Crazy. So I don't think he'll be back. <laughs> no, 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 no. Some people are just, uh, some people are meant to uh, fade off into the darkness, man. And that's probably one of those people. Yeah. Well, that's like the whole thing, though. You have to be careful who you surround yourself with, especially if your life depends on what you're doing. Like he was <laughs> training with this guy because even his body didn't even look the same when he was training with that man. No. Like he looked soft compared to because I remember when I saw him fight BJ Penn here in Memphis. Yeah. And he, he was solid. Obviously, yeah. he was younger then, but still, I mean, he just. Oh, he used to be fierce back when he called himself the nightmare. I mean, would he always yell, yell yes all the time? Yeah. <laughs> then that was his thing, man. He had yeah. this belief in himself, his belief in God. He had this very strong will. Like when he was on the Ultimate Fighter, he didn't care what anybody thought of him. He was taking people's food and eating it, and he didn't give a crap. Yeah. Because he had this massive belief in himself. And, and again, just like Connor, I mean, that's what, you know, makes them such a good fighter. And I think he lost that maybe as he was getting older, losing fights here and there. And I guess that's when that dude found him and messed him up real bad. Well, I see. I wonder, too, if it's one of those things where you start getting comfortable. Because, like, I mean, you've been fighting for so long. And then it's like that whole thing they talk about. Like, I can't remember what boxer said it, but it's hard to get up when you're sleeping in silk sheets. You know, okay. once you hit a certain level, do you just think you're on cruise control? I think that's what happened to Connor. Yeah, I mean, if you get all that money he got from Floyd and from the proper 12. It's just like you don't have to literally go out there and hustle anymore for it because you've made it now, right? Yeah, all he has to do is show up. Yeah. And that's all he does. And then they're not going to feed him somebody that's lesser than him. He's got to fight top-tier people. Yeah. And then when, and you're, uh, when you're fighting a Khabib, I mean, talking's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that line. Khabib's like, talk now. When he's like, punch him in the face. And then Connor's <laughs> like, it's just business. And he's like, nah, man. Like, you were talking about my religion. You were talking about my family. You know, certain lines, I think, when you cross them, you have to stick with them. Because sometimes when I watch the fights and then the guys hug afterwards, it's like, did you just do that for promotion? Or did you really, you know, do you have respect for them now? Most of them, I think it's because of promotion. I definitely think there's there's a little bit of both. Yeah, most of the time, probably for the promotion. And they will admit to it a lot of times that they did this because they needed to sell the fight. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of pressure put on yeah. to make sure that they're, you know, I mean, because if not, they're not going to get paid. Yeah, especially if you're a champion or somebody on the main. Well, definitely champion because they get pay-per-view points. So you want to sell as many pay-per-views as possible. Mm -hmm. Well, look now, at DJ. 
the flyweight champ forever, but oh, yeah. he never drew a crowd because he was boring. Yeah. One of his, one of my favorite fights of his was, I can't remember who he fought, but he finished the guy within like a second left. One second, 459 to jump in triangle. Yeah. <laughs> or so armbar. Yeah. yeah. It's so crazy, man. Yeah. He's massively talented, but for some reason, people just didn't take to him. He's not doing well in um, 1FC, right? Isn't that who he went up to? Was it 1FC? I, I don't know. I haven't seen him since. I know they traded him, um, but I, after that, I didn't follow him at all. Because they traded him for Ben Askren, correct? That's right, yeah. And we saw what happened yep. to Ben Askren. <laughs> Got beat up. Oh, so let me ask you. Who, how, do you ended think, him. how do you think Nate would do against Jake Paul? In you boxing. Know, and then in MMA. I don't know. Jake Paul is... I, I've always hated the fact that he's doing what he's doing. But yet, at the same time, I do like the fact that he's trying to get fighters more pay so when i first saw him coming into the whole ufc and trying to challenge people and he's kind of taking advantage of the fact that people like tyrone woodley and and you know other guys that are not really or ben askren that aren't really boxers right and yeah. they're they're already on their way out anyway and so that's the view that I saw him from and he's this YouTube star and I kind of thought he was a joke. And then I realized, okay, he's trying to get money for the fighters. And if that's true, I like that. And yeah, he's going to fight for free. I think he said, right. Wasn't that what he's going to do for Nate? Yeah. He said he would fight Nate for free if Dana bumped up the minimum pay to 50 K. But I mean, how much is that going to cost Dana over time than the mm -hmm. one time paying him like $3 million? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good thing if he's if he's really doing that and being honest about that's really what he's trying to go after. I think it's pretty cool. And as far as how he would do against Nate, he's a lot bigger than Nate. But I mean, I would never count Nate out. But that Stockton slap of his, man, he's <laughs> he's durable, man. He can take a punch. Yeah. I think his hardest problem would be to keep it just like Connor when he fought Floyd. He could have just destroyed Floyd so many times. Like he got his back, and they're the announcers are saying, "Oh, well, this isn't boxing. He looks like an idiot. He looks like an, he's like a fighter. That's what he looks like." Yeah, you know, and that would be Nate's biggest problem is he's going to want to take him down and kick him and you know choke him out and stuff. So to keep it standing and just boxing might be a problem. Well, it's kind of like when um, Jake fought Tyron the second time, and Tyron kind of tossed him. You know, <laughs> oh <was>. yeah, <laughs> but I mean, like in a real fight. There's no way that Jake Paul would beat any MMA fighter, no. in my opinion. And now he's he, offered to go into the octagon, which I think would be great. Man, when you get like they always talk about their wrestlers in high school, there's a difference between a wrestler in high school and a college wrestler and a real grappler. Mm -hmm. That strength, they just. I mean, you can different. even see that as far as credentials goes, John Jones was not nearly as good as a wrestler. Credential wise is Daniel Cormier. Right. And Daniel Cormier took him down. I mean, John took Daniel down at will. Yeah. So, I mean, there's different, you know, so like to say, like I was a high school wrestler and I think I can sprawl. Um, it's kind of delusional, but you have to sell a fight. I get that. Like mm -hmm. you have to be able you have to have some confidence too, because you got to respect anybody that goes in there and takes punches. Oh yeah. Like, um, so Oh, I can't remember her name. She, um, Mata Ferry. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, with the glasses. Right. Roxanne, she's the, right? 
Roxanne Monteferry. She's the goofiest person. <laughs> she's all into MMA. She's got this love of Japanese culture. I love all that about her, right? But then you you sit there and you're like, wow, she is goofy as hell. But you know what? She's more of a man than me because she's stepping in that octagon and throwing down yeah, every single time. Sure. Yeah, so, she just recently retired, did she not? Yeah, she, she did. Yeah, yeah. So the lowest paid fighter in the UFC, like there's a couple, there's tiers to it. The lowest paid is ten thousand. Mm-hmm. So is that to show? I mean, it, it was just it's just showing like what the contract would be. It's not showing for show and win, you know. Well, usually mm-hmm. it's ten and ten, you yeah, know, whatever like it is. Yeah, five and five and five or ten and ten. So can you imagine? And it's been like that for a long time, and they have to pay for a lot of the stuff themselves. Or- yes, because since they're con- uh, contracted employees, they uh, you know they have to pay the cut people, they have to pay cut the trainers, the gym fees. You know, if they if they live in whatever state, they gotta pay uh, taxes. Yeah, because I think uh, there was just a thing that Jared Cannonier just came out with a p- previous post fight interview where he's talking about how he was broke and he needed to get fights. Yeah, because he had to pay his manager, he had to pay his his agent, he had to pay his coach and like sparring partners, and yeah, pay for food. I mean, it's there's a lot to it, man. There's a lot to oh, it that yeah. like. They definitely need to make more because, like I said, they're putting their life on the line, too. Because you don't right. know what the later down effects are going to be of all the, you know, hits to the head or just being slammed down to the ground. Yeah, and they're forced to fight a lot because the pay is so so low and they have to shell out so much money for, like you said, trainers and partners and all that. If you don't already, you should, uh, I don't know if you guys get on TikTok, but I actually got on it for a, a short time because Sam Alvey, smiling Sam Alvey, he's on TikTok and he uploads frequently. He's about the most down to earth guy that I've ever encountered as far as like, just, I mean, he'll DM you, he'll talk to you. And he talks about fighter pay a lot and Jake Paul, the whole situation. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's actually uh, he's, he uploads quite a bit. I have to I have to follow him then. What's his name? Sam? What? Sam, Sam Alvey? Alvey. Yeah, smiling Sam Alvey. He's known for that big grin that he's always got in the in the octagon. He you know he has his wins and losses. He's kind of a uh, middle of the road as far as uh you know UFC rankings and all that. I'm really not sure what his rankings are right now, but uh, he's he's fun to watch and he he definitely throws down. But he um yeah he's got a pretty frequent upload on TikTok where he talks about a whole lot of different stuff and people will comment, you know, things like, Hey, what do you think about Jake Paul? And what do you think about the fighter pay? And he gives his honest opinion about it. He's an intelligent guy. Yeah. Like I said, I think everybody always wants to make more money. And like I said, if you're, if you're risking your life, like that, like people that do like oil rig stuff, they make more than the average person say working at a grocery store. Oh yeah. So, I mean, if there's more risk involved, I think you should be paid more. But I also understand it's a business, too. And I also understand that the UFC is a huge platform for eyeballs on these people. So you have to do like what a Connor has done or what uh, Stylebender has done. You know, you have Mm -hmm. to to take that platform you're given and run with it. Absolutely. I I think one of the things they did that kind of messed them up, though, was the Reebok deal. Mm, Because, yeah, yeah, it eliminated the, the sponsorships that they had with a lot of the locals and and what have you. So that screwed with their pay a whole lot. So the lower tier fighters really got hit hard by that. Now, don't they have a deal now with the rocks, like under armor? Uh, Venom. There was Venom. Yeah. Venom has got the rock was, has a shoe. Like, like he has like a UFC shoe. Now, maybe it's his shoes. Then maybe the, Uh, the gear might be Venom. 
It yeah, might I, be. I, I didn't yeah. understand the Reebok thing because, like, I guess maybe they have trying to make a resurgence of Reebok or I don't know. Because, like, when I was, if you think about shoes nowadays, like, Reebok's not a brand that I would think about. No. Like, maybe Adidas because I know they're kind of a, they're, they're a part of the same umbrella. But you would think mm-hmm. they would go, like, because you always see Dana, he's even always walk, rocking Adidas, but. Uh, the Reebok thing did not make sense because I know like even Brendan Schaub, that was one of his fallouts with Dana White was because he said that uh, he um, he made so much more money when he was fighting with his sponsorships. And Dana's like, you're a fucking liar. No, you didn't. And I guess <laughs> Joe told Dana, yeah, I saw his receipts. And he's like, oh, OK. <laughs> yeah, well, they did. They made a lot of money from the sponsorship deals. And then so they I guess the UFC wanted to go more. Um, they, they wanted NASCAR. to look more of a unit. Yeah, exactly. And that's less NASCAR. They didn't want to look like they had a bunch of stickers all over. I remember the times when they were fighting and they had in Sharpie on their back. That was their, you know, <laughs> yeah. that was their sponsor. Yeah. And yeah. So, I mean, they went away from that because they wanted to look more professional and finally get away from the, the spike TV and then finally Fox four. And then now they got picked up by ESPN. So they feel like they actually made it. So. But see, I wonder I don't know. Like I said, I understand where the business point of view, but I also understand from the person's point of view where they want to make as much possibly as they can. Cause most people's window of fighting is pretty short. Oh, sure. And then, like I said, you can have long-term effects from that little short window. Cause I know even like Chris Lieben, he's had some like real issues after he got done fighting. Like he's yeah. like, or he's like refing now. So you go from getting murked by Anderson to refing, which it's pretty fucking That's, sad, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and his style of fighting to begin with was just this drunken brawler where he was just getting hit left and right. And even though he was out on his feet, he was still knocking people out. Yeah. Like he had that one punch power, which was kind of weird because he was not a, not the type of guy you would think that would have that. Mm-mm. But um, his style of fighting was just uh, hit me as much as you want. I don't care. And that wasn't going to be a long lived career anyway. I think the wildest fight I can ever recall seeing live, well, not live in person, but live watching it was Chet Congo versus uh, Barry. What's his name? Roses. Oh, um, Nama Yunus's. Yeah. Uh, Barry. Um, Fuck. Yeah, I know you're talking about. Pat Barry. Pat Barry. Yeah, yeah. When, because uh, it looked like Chet was out on his feet. And luckily, the ref, you know, for us didn't Let stop it. Let it go on. Yeah. Not, not luckily for Chet's brain. But mm-hmm. and then he came back and just knocked him out cold. I remember yeah. I was at Fox and Hound with my buddy at the time, and we we're like, "What the fuck, man? What just happened?" <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah. "Ah, that's funny." There was actually there was one other time that that happened. It was a uh, Scott Smith, and I don't remember the other fighter's name, but um, Scott Smith got hit really hard in the ribs and went down. It might have been the liver. I'm not really sure, but he went down, and the other guy came in for the kill. And Scott Smith rose up from his knees and clocked the dude and knocked him out and won the fight. It was pretty <laughs> epic. Yeah, like I said, I love watching it, but I also feel for those people, too. Because like you said, you you know there's got to be some damage being done. Oh, yeah. And I hate to see people like Alan Belcher. And there's a bunch of them now. Um, I want to say uh, Mendez. Chad Mendez is also doing it. There's a few yeah. others. Yeah. I hate to see them go the route of bare knuckle fighting because you know that's a really short lived career. Well, I think I saw that Chad said he got paid more for the bare knuckle fight than he did in the UFC. Oh, uh, you uh, bare knuckle fighting is paying these guys more. 
Much more. Yeah. But I mean, there's so much more that's going to be taken out of them. You talk about brain damage and yeah. and cuts. You can get more cut to the face. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's very. I like I said. I love. That's one sport I like is MMA. I don't care about anything else, but uh, I do watch, and I don't even watch that as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. Whenever, I, especially like when my favorite people are fighting, I try to at least catch the highlights of it. Yeah. So, do you want to start recording? Oh, sure. I'm just kidding. Man. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know what y'all are doing on your end. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, so how? what was your heaviest weight you were at? The heaviest weight that I actually weighed in at was 371. And how old were you at the time? Ooh, good question. 2016. Yeah, so that was 2016. So I was 40, uh, 39. Yeah. And what was your like aha moment? Uh, well, I was getting uh, I was getting pretty wasted several nights a week and uh, eating a lot, and it was coming up on New Year's Eve, and um, I don't really remember, probably because I've been drinking. I don't really remember if there was a specific aha moment, but I know that that night I made the decision that I was tired of not wanting to get my picture taken. I was tired of kind of shying away from from public events you know anything that my kids were doing not really wanting to go out and hang out with them and stuff and uh, just very unhappy i was tired of always being hung over and always feeling just unconfident myself mm. and so it was new year's eve in 2016 that i just decided you know i'm gonna wake up tomorrow morning and i'm gonna start start getting this done get back in shape so I did. What was the reason for the weight gain? Do you know, or was it just because you weren't as active as before? You know that had something to do with it. And in my job, I do IT, uh-huh. so uh, I'm very sedentary. I can't really blame it on that. We all have choices. We can all you know get out, and make the time to eat right, and, and get in shape and all that. But you know, I joined the military when I was 17, and I always kind of had to be in shape, right? Mm-hmm. When I got out in 2008. Um, that's when I just kind of let myself go. And it was like for the first time, I didn't really have somebody just telling me what to do all the time. And I really didn't do well with that. So I started gaining weight pretty rapidly. And I was about 260 at the time, um, probably within a couple of months after I got out. So I had gained probably 20 pounds or so. But that just kind of never stopped. And I continued on that path until, well, it was probably, what, eight years. So do you think it's one of those things where, like, say we didn't have, like, camera phones and, like, social media, so now we have to constantly see pictures of ourselves. Like, say, like, maybe back 20 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, you were you probably wouldn't notice it as much. Obviously, you notice your clothes get bigger and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'd go up a size or whatever. But, like, when you start constantly have to see or people want to take pictures, like you said, you're like, man, I don't want to take a picture. Then it's more yeah. of a you're more accountable or it's more of a documentation of your current form. Absolutely. And that's the thing, you know, when my parents come down to visit and want to take pictures or we, uh, my biggest thing was we would go out we would go to like six flags and I couldn't ride the rides. So I would stand there holding the bags and basically going from one ride to the next and watching them have a good time. And, you know, that was hard. Uh, But yeah, I, we didn't ever have pictures of me. And I, it got to me after a while because 
I don't have a lot of pictures of my kids for that entire like eight to 10 year time frame. Mm. So what kind of emotional toll did it take on you? Oh, it was huge. I mean, when you're constantly in, whether or not you just accept it, um, you're always aware of the fact that you are uncomfortable and you're ducking. Let's say my daughter had a, you know, in a, an event at school where you could go and have breakfast with her. And I'd be like, Oh no, I have to work. Or, you know, she'd have friends come over and I wouldn't want to meet the parents because I don't want to be, feel like I'm embarrassing them. But see, the problem is that you surrounding yourself with people who love you, right? You got your, in my case, I got my wife, my two daughters, and they're never going to just tell me, Hey dad, you're fat. You need to do something about that. They're always like, Oh no, you look fine. You know, and they, they're, they're trying to be supportive, but they're, and they're not doing anything wrong by that, but you kind of just get to where you just feel comfortable. Yeah. And so you don't hold yourself accountable. You're just like, well, it's okay. I'll start tomorrow. I'll start next week. So how many times did you say that to yourself that you were going to start and then you didn't start? Man, I wish I could count dozens. I'm sure. Um, you know, I, I'm one of those people where it's, I'm all or nothing. I'm either a hundred percent into something or I'm 0%. And I was 0% for the longest time, which is why when I flipped that switch on January 1st, 2017, I knew that I was, that was it. I was, I stopped drinking completely. Um, I started eating right. I started going to the gym and it was 14 months later that I made that change and I had lost 150 pounds. That's impressive. That's impressive. All or nothing. 150 pounds in, you said a year and two months. Wow. Yeah. It was 418 days. Wow. I and what was that. your, what was your, uh, program and diet like so back in not to make this too long of a story but back in around it was the 90s uh bill phillips came out with a book and some videos um he was the founder of experimental and applied sciences uh, they came out with like myoplex pre-made shakes and things like that you could buy it in powder form and i had watched his little competition that he put on you know there was 12 candidates i believe and the winner that made the biggest change could win a hundred thousand dollars in a new Corvette. It was, you know, cute. And so I watched all this, I got kind of motivated and I was like, you know what, that's pretty cool. I can do that. And at the time, I think I probably lost 20 pounds or so. Um, I wasn't overweight at the time. Really. I was probably about 200 and I lost 20 pounds. But one of the things he did was he started out by doing a set of 12 reps, kind of lightweight, just to kind of get the muscles warmed up. And then he did a slightly heavier set of 10, slightly heavier set of eight, and then a pretty heavy set, probably 80 to 85% of your, your capacity for six. And then he did two final sets of 12 to really burn that muscle out. And that's exactly what I still do today. Mm. So do you do a lot of cardio or did you do a lot of cardio or was it predominantly just weight training? During that time, I did do a lot of cardio. I actually was working out. I was working out six days a week, but I'd say four to five of those days, I got to where I was up to running um, five miles a day on the treadmill. And that was a slow run. I mean, six miles an hour was my max. I'm not a runner. I just don't have that in me. But I was finally able to get up the, you know, the lung capacity to where I could hold that run for a, a solid hour so I could run five miles. And I, that was helping me out quite a bit. So what do you do now as far as your weight training and fitness regime? The, the weight training I do now, um, 
And I don't know if you saw basically what I had done. I gained like 50 pounds or so back. And so I'm on that path to lose it again, which I'm doing very well so far, but I'm not doing cardio because June of last year, I snapped my Achilles tendon in half. Oh shit. And so it's still not really back to where I can even lift myself up on that foot. So I can't run. So cardio's out, but I'm still doing the weight, weight training. What happened with your Achilles? How'd that happen? Um, well, um, let's just say my daughter pulled in at a kind of a weird angle to the ditch in front of our house because yeah. that's where she always parked her truck. And it was about midnight or so. And I went out there to try to help push to get it going and snap. I mean, it was loud. Mm. <laughs> I was pretty surprised. Yeah, that sucks. And, uh, yeah, it was just an accident, you know, it's, she'd done it a hundred times before and never had an issue. It was raining the night before. So it was a little bit muddy, you know, it's just one of those things you don't stretch out or you, you think you're stronger than you are. Ego is always a problem. And then, yeah, I snapped it. And so I went to the VA, went to the ER. They told me, here's a boot, wear this. And they told me it would heal on its own. And four months later, it hadn't healed at all. So I finally got surgery in November of last year. And then I was on non-weight-bearing mode where I couldn't even put any weight on it at all for three months, three and a half months. So was that during the time that you, you started putting the weight back on somewhat? Well, oddly enough, I actually lost 50 pounds during that time. Oh, shit. Because I wanted to recover. I was very scared about getting back to my former weight. So um, I started doing keto, and I lost 50 pounds even though I was just sitting on my butt all day. That's that. So I had, I had gained, I was back up to about 320 pounds at that time. And then I got down to about 370 or I'm sorry, 270. And, um, that's where I was at when I was finally able to start going back to the gym. And so when did the weight start coming back on? Well, that was when it came back on. So I've lost about 10 pounds since then, which doesn't seem like uh, that much, but I've gained, I I wish that I knew. I have a scale that could probably tell me, but I've gained probably 15 or 20 pounds of muscle since I started because everything that I've done since I first started, I I'm stronger now than I was when I went through that program back in 2017. So I'm actually very confident. I feel really good about what I'm able to do in the gym now. So I can wear like size 34 pants again. Um, My shape has changed, even though the weight itself hasn't dropped a whole lot. So now I'm doing keto again, and I think that I'm hoping by my 46th birthday coming up in September, I'll be back down to 220. So does the scale play tricks on your mind, even though you know some of it is from muscle? You know, it it probably would more so if I was not performing better in the gym. Yeah. I'm, I'm not... A, I don't, I don't have much of an ego and I'm definitely not one of those people that thinks that I'm, you know, all strong and everything. But at the same time, I have increased everything so much in the gym in these past couple of months that I started back that it has, hasn't affected me that much. And it's because of the way my clothes fit and the way I can look in the mirror, I can take pictures now and I can see a huge difference. Like I don't have that muffin top that I did before when I first started, even though it's only been 10 pounds. I just feel like my entire body shape has changed and I feel like I did back when I lost that weight. So it's just totally revamped your confidence. Absolutely. Yeah. I think even, you know, just as men, I think it's not talked about a lot, but I think we all have some type of, you know, confidence issues or, 
you know, get to have to uh, check our ego or, you know, develop an ego mm-hmm. because like it's this whole thing where you're like, I'll just be a man, get over it. Or, you know, you're not supposed to have any problems or you're not supposed to care about the way you look. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's some antiquated bullshit, you know, like everybody I think should want to be feel good and look good. Cause I think right. if you look good, you feel good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You want to, you want to feel healthy. You want to be able to, to know that you can do normal everyday tasks, go mow the yard or carry the groceries in with your, you know, with your wife and kids or whatever you're going to do and, and feel like you're not going to be out of breath or walk up the stairs at work and not feel like you're dying when you get to the top, you know? Um, but, and that's exactly what there's uh, at least a dozen or so people online on Instagram. When I started doing that again, uh, a couple months ago that I've actually been in fairly frequent contact with. And that's exactly what we tell each other is you really just have to be happy with yourself. You know, stop getting that, that body dysmorphia issue where you just have to feel like you have to look a certain way or even obtain that, that certain pound that you're looking for. It's really just about feeling healthy and better about yourself. Yeah, because we can even uh, equate it to like fighting, like we were talking about earlier. Like you can have two fighters in the same weight class and two totally different body types, but then they get on the same scale for weigh-in day, and they're going to weigh the exact same, but they're going to look completely different. Perfect yeah. example: two hundred five, John Jones, Daniel Cormier. John oh. Jones ripped. Obviously, he's a little bit taller than Daniel, but Daniel definitely had a lot more fat. Daniel probably could have fought at one seventy if, if he had like a really strict diet. Like he definitely could have fought at one eighty-five. You know, he could have had abs if he wanted to. So, like, I, I don't know the last time that man's probably seen his abs, but yeah, he probably could. <laughs> I mean, and I, I say that because that's just his body type, right? Yeah. He's a thick guy. But I mean, like anybody with dedication, if you're dedicated enough, you know, you can you can achieve some levels. Like, I don't think he could ever fight at 155 or something or 145. But he, I think he can definitely he definitely was carrying weight in his midsection. That was like Mike Dolce says is not functional weight, right? Yeah, no, I get that. And if you were to have seen, I don't know if you even look at my Instagram or not, but if you'd have seen a picture of me when I did that transformation picture, when I uploaded that, um, I was two hundred and twenty pounds in my after picture, and I can see all of my abs. I don't honestly think that I could get down comfortably to two hundred pounds and still feel healthy. Oh, the if I'd have lost another twenty pounds, is this that would have been kitchen? muscle with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're in really good shape, man. Well, I mean, that's that was to me that 220 pounds would have been pretty heavy when I was in my 20s. But now that I've gotten older, I don't know what it is, but guess I carry my weight differently or something. But I don't think I could really lose another 20 pounds and still feel healthy. I'd feel pretty hungry. <laughs> yeah, it's like you look like a totally different person, man. Like how many people saw Appreciate you it. at three seventy one and then saw you at two twenty one and didn't recognize you? I was still going to work all the time at that time, so there wasn't so much of a strobe light effect with them. But when I went back home and saw my family, they noticed. Um, my family lives in Illinois, and uh, people at work actually started coming up to me. People that I didn't even know that well, and they were coming up to me and saying, "You know what? I don't want to come across weird, but whatever you're doing." keep doing it because you're, you're really looking good. And I was surprised by that because I didn't really think anybody would notice, but yeah, yeah, it felt great. Was it one of the things too, where you didn't notice the changes automatically, but other people saw it before you did? You know, I, th- I think so because um, this sounds kind of dumb, but I have this mirror in my house and I swear that 
I look at myself in that mirror, the lighting is perfect. You know how that is. Lighting is everything. <laughs> and even like right now, if I were to look at myself in the mirror, I feel I look not that different from when I did when I was 220 pounds. And so, and again, that's that whole body dysmorphia. It's the way you, it's the way you view yourself. And I choose, I guess, um, not to see the extra weight that's on me. I'm not sure why, but I wasn't at that time noticing that, that much of a difference. Like, I guess my pants were getting smaller, but I still felt like I couldn't see any abs. I still felt like I didn't really have a chest. I wasn't able to see the difference in my shoulders or the you know, striations in my arms or anything like that. And it wasn't until I broke probably 250 pounds or so that I started actually seeing the muscle that I was putting on. You so know, what was your biggest pant size? Because you said you got down to 50. 34, right? Oh, shit. What was it? I was 50. I was in 50s. And I have a picture. Uh, you can see it on my Instagram page there. I was in 50s. And they had actually, you can't see it in the picture, of course, but they had actually ripped underneath. So I was doing my best and they had already been sewn. I was doing my best not to go up another size. My belt was as tall as me. Wow. Wrapped around my waist. <laughs> Damn, that's crazy. Yeah, and I know it was 50s because that's the largest size that Walmart sells. <laughs> so was, how was that feeling? Because I remember, what well, obviously, when you were in the military, you were a lot smaller, and then you got to size 50. Like, how much of an emotional toll was that? Going up that far, you mean? Yeah. Um, it was a slow progression, so I guess I sort of just dealt with it as time went on. Um, again, I was surrounded by people who loved me, so they wouldn't ever tell me that I was overweight. Um, I could see it when I had pictures taken of me, and I guess... I maybe just put it out of my mind and just allowed myself to continue doing what I was doing to make myself happy in whatever capacity that was. And that was really just eating what I wanted and, you know, drinking what I wanted. Um, so it was definitely an emotional toll uh, that it took on me, but it wasn't like all at once. It spanned across a very, very long time, which made it a little bit easier to digest. Yeah. Cause uh, I don't know if you know, uh, do you know Gourmet Goes Keto? Do you know who that is? I think I've seen him online. Yeah. So like we've had him on here and at one time I think he was like 600 pounds and he got down and then he got back up and then he's losing again now. But he told us that like he was outgrowing his car. And I was like, what the fuck? Like that's something I never even considered. Like I think yeah. about obviously clothes, you know, mm -hmm. but like something like, you know, your vehicle or then that's not a unit of measurement we're used to hearing. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, He's like, he even had like hygiene wise, it was tough. Like if he mm -hmm. like had to like a his, he started having to adapt instead of just wiping his own ass. He had to use like a broomstick or something to, you know, to reach back because it was so hard to reach. And then sometimes he would just have to take a shower to make sure he was clean. Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, like there's a lot that people go through that we don't think about on a daily basis. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I, I can understand that, actually. I, I do understand that. Not to that extent, but I, I definitely would have gotten to that point. I was going to be pushing 400 pounds very soon if I didn't change. So did you have any health problems at all, or is everything pretty much fine? Um, I've always had high blood pressure. I've always... I was diagnosed with sleep apnea back when I weighed about 165 pounds. So my weight didn't really attribute to that. Yeah. So the, the health issues that I had... I think showed up 
towards when I was actually exercising to lose the weight. And that's when I had to go to the doctor a couple of times because I had uh, problems with my knees really bad. And they said that I had a torn meniscus in both of my knees. And one of them is going to require surgery, apparently, later down the line, whenever I decide to go in. The other one, he said, should heal on its own. But he was telling me that, and I don't remember the terms he used, but basically uh, there's some cartilage in there that's missing. And what's supposed to be smooth and allow your knee to move freely is more like uh, jagged. And uh, that's why I was having that pain. So I didn't really have an illness per se, but I definitely had taken quite a toll on my joints, especially my knees. Well, it's like you never really think about how much weight is until you lift weights. Like Mm -hmm. if you think about a 45 pound plate, that's 45 pounds you're carrying around with you all the fucking time. Just imagine if you're going to carry a plate weight of 45 pounds to go upstairs and stuff like that. And that's on most people's stomachs. Yeah. Well, and anybody that's trying to lose weight, you get a four pound, five pound bag of sugar from Walmart and you hold it out in front of you and see how long you can hold that out there. That becomes very heavy, very fast. Yeah, so, so like, five pounds is significant. Yeah, and then like on the flip side, to lose that is a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I lost the equivalent of both of my dogs, and they're both laps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like did you have a lot of those like they say non-scale victories too? What do you mean? Like uh, you were able to fit in something you hadn't been able to fit in before, or just something that didn't what come from weight on the scale, like something so, you can't actually physically see or read on number wise. Yes. I had gotten up to where I was regularly wearing um, four X's in my shirts. And it was nice when it went down to three X's and two X's. But when I was able to fit into larges again, that changed every, I bought like a thousand dollars worth of shirts and I was buying new pants all the time. And just, I I bought new shoes to help me run in the Hoka one ones are awesome. And um, so, yeah, I mean, just the wardrobe part of it was a huge victory for me. The scale was as well. But um, to be able to feel like a normally shaped person again felt pretty great. And how about also, how about being able to buy clothes off the rack at just like a normal store instead of having to go to DXL or something? Exactly. There was a time when we went to the French Quarter in New Orleans, and I was trying to find a button-up shirt to wear just so that I could wear something besides these, you know, extremely oversized shirts that I was wearing. And I'd already outgrown all my football jerseys as well. So uh, I ended up having to go to a 4X and a 5X because that's all they had that would fit me. And I took my wife, um, we, she had her birthday party. I don't remember what year it was, but she had a birthday party. And um, I had a bunch of her friends come in and I looked at the pictures of that afterwards. And I was just blown away by how huge I looked and how big those shirts were. I think I might still have one today if I haven't packed it up and thrown it in the attic. But um, I mean, imagine a five X shirt, like how big that is. You should make a massive. Yeah, it is. You should make a, um, a video or a post with you wearing that shirt and just being drowned in it. Yeah, I could do that. I did it with the pants um, and I can't find those pants anymore. I'm not sure how they got tossed away. They may have been packed up, but I've been looking for those pants because that was my, I wanted to keep those forever as a reminder. Yeah. So did you, when you first started losing weight, did you still try to dress baggy or bigger clothes? Yeah. Yeah. For a long time, for a couple of reasons. I, one, I wanted to feel comfortable because you still, 
when you're in that phase of losing the weight, you know, in my case, I still had the gut. Um, I still didn't have the shape that I wanted to where I was feeling comfortable. So I wore baggy clothes because I wanted to hide all that, but also because I knew what I was about to do. I used to be in shape and I knew that there was going to be a point where I was going to be happy again. And I wanted to make a drastic change when that happened. I didn't want to go from, from a four X to a three X to a two X, you know, like that. I really wanted to go from the four X oversized shirts have a couple of two X and three X's for when I went out with my family to dinner or something. But for the most part, go straight to the XLs or to the largest and just notice that huge difference. And that's when I went out and I bought like, you know, grunt style, relentless defender and all these types of shirts that were just like, you know, spoke to me, just things that I would never have been able to buy before. and feel comfortable. So you at your peak fitness in the military and then you, when you were heavier and then you now, did each stage of those think they would be in those positions? Did each stage of those think what now? Like each at each stage of your life. So like when you were in your physical fitness level, did you ever think you would be out of shape? And then you're out of shape. Did you ever think you would get back in shape again? I never thought I'd be out of shape as much as I ended up getting out of shape. Um, the first time that it happened, I actually it was in 2002. And it's funny because I knew it was going to happen. I actually took a picture of myself and I the name of the picture was the date and it was, I think March 13th, 2002 or something like that. But it's because I had gotten orders to go to Korea and I knew that because I was in a new relationship with my current wife, um, that I was probably either going to get really jacked or really fat. Well, what had happened was we ended up um, getting married and she was also pregnant. And then I left for Korea a month later. And during that time, within a year, I gained 60 pounds and it wasn't muscle. So that was the first time that I was like, okay, I'm just going to completely let myself go. And I didn't see this coming. Four months later, I got a, an assignment to go to the Middle East. And while I was there, I was surrounded by a lot of other guys that had nothing to do in their free time, like me, than to go to the gym. And at the time, there was a lot of supplements that were coming out rapidly. They were over the counter that had androstene in it, you know, that fake testosterone. And it was not taken off the shelves yet because it was, you know, still in that phase where they're throwing it out there. Hey, buy it before it gets discontinued. And so we were taking a variety of different crazy supplements from, you know, you could actually buy from GNC. And um, it really helped me lose a bunch of weight. I think I lost like 40 pounds of that weight back in like four months. So, but yeah, no, to go answer your question, I always, I was always in shape growing up when I was in martial arts, uh, when I first went to the military, I never got over 165 pounds. Um, when I did gain a little bit of weight in the military, I was still not over 200 pounds. I was 193 pounds when I left to go to Korea. Um, but then when I gained that 60 pounds, that was the first time I ever saw, wow, you know, this is possible. Yeah. I probably should be a little more careful. Yeah, like I said, weight, especially with age, it can sneak up on you, like if you're not careful. And especially, like you said, if you have a sedentary job or lifestyle, because you're not active as much as you were once when you were not doing a desk job or whatever. And then, two, like I said, if you're older, you know, your metabolism starts slowing down and you can't just eat the same shit you ate before because, like I said, if you're not active, it's going to catch up with you. 
Yeah. Because no, I have friends of mine, they, they've always been super thin. And even now, like, they're not fat, fat or anything like that. But you can definitely tell they're heavier since they've gotten in their 40s. Yeah. Well, and we call it filling out, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get that dad bod going on. Oh, man. It's so crazy, man. Like, it's amazing what the body can do, though. Because, like, if you can look at, like, all spectrums of people, like, you can have people that are six, seven hundred plus pounds. Then you have people that are, you know, 300 pounds or like the mountain. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, we have all these different levels that the body can do. Yeah. It's impressive. Oh, absolutely. You don't yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> I'm actually, um, I'm like I said, I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing right now. I'm still going to the gym six days a week. Uh, my daughter's been going with me a couple of days a week, which is actually very motivational. Um, she was the one that actually stuck with me through the entire weight loss. Um, when I, when I lost that 150 pounds, she was at the gym with me. I get up at three o'clock in the morning. She was right there beside me. And I have, I believe I still have on my page a video of her. Uh, she was, I think 14 years old, bench pressing 50 pound dumbbells. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. She was massive. She's really strong. I mean, not massive in, the, in, a, in a weight gain weight. She would only weigh probably 115 pounds, but she was very strong. And she is still to this day, pound for pound, as strong as I am. She loves to show me that. <laughs> So it's great though. I'm proud of it. You got a weight. And my other daughter as well. Actually, uh, she went to the gym with me prior to that, a couple of years before, when I tried to do this resurgence and I was trying to, you know, work out a bunch. And and uh my oldest daughter, she also did, you know, stuck by me, went to the gym. They're both, you know, between them and my wife and my mom and everybody, they all believed in me, which is more than I could ever ask for. Having a support system is one of the best things you can possibly have, because especially if it's like a weight thing and you you're trying to do something and somebody is not on the same path as you, because maybe they are not. They don't have an issue with their weight. And I would imagine if somebody's like bringing in food or enticing you with stuff, it's not going to be easy to stay on track, especially in the very beginning. Especially in the very beginning, because you definitely uh, are unsure of what you're capable of, whether or not it's going to be worth it. You're sore all the time. Um, your cravings are out of control. And if you don't see those changes right away, then you tend to lose confidence. Yeah. Like I said, I think, I think more people need to be able to express these type of feelings like it in like a safe space. Because like I said, I know you said you have a community online you can reach out to, I think a lot of people, they get in their heads and they think they're the only person dealing with these problems. And so they internalize everything. And then that manifests generally in more weight gain. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people will resort to food for, you know, to be consoled. Instead of reaching out to a person to talk about it. Absolutely. I really I, I don't know the numbers, of course, but I would have to say that if I were to guess, I would say the majority, at least, of people are emotional eaters. You know, we tend to that's why they call it comfort food. Right. We eat carb loaded, terrible for you food just because it tastes good and you want to feel good in the moment and just get out of reality for a minute and just not care about the stresses that are going on in your life or you know, whatever it is that's got you down. And so you turn to food as this, this comfort to make you happy in the moment, that instant gratification. Yeah. And it's not like you can get away from food. Like you can't like people, especially people that are uh, like have food addictions. It's like, what are they going to do? 
mm-hmm. like, like alcohol or drugs or something like that. That's something you can abstain from. But food is something we all need to live. Yeah. And it's like, that's got to be a tough one. And I, I think a lot of it, obviously, is something mentally that you need to deal with. And it's just like, one, I don't know how some people can reach out for help or how do they even get it diagnosed? Yeah, and a lot of people I noticed are doing, you know, the people that are in this community online are doing the right thing by going and consulting their doctor. And a lot of them are getting the uh, the surgery, right? They're getting the the gastric sleeve or they're getting the lap band or, or what have you. And they're, they're taking that route because they absolutely have no other choice. They're not able to move enough to really make a difference. And that has really helped uh, facilitate their, their weight loss, right? It's been a catalyst to them. And now I see a lot of them and, you know, you just interviewed um, Murph not too long ago. Yeah. yeah that's all. Yeah. He's an awesome uh, person. Oh, exactly. You know, and the things that he does, I mean, not, not for me to disclose, but the things that he does with his family, like, he is this amazing guy. I can't believe he's got the time to lose weight with all the other stuff he's got going on. Yeah. Um, then there's, there's a bunch of them. I could, I could rattle off a dozen of them that are just the, the changes they've made. You shouldn't be able to make those kind of changes. <laughs> well, I saw in my Explorer page, there was some guy um, and he had had the weight loss surgery and some, it was like he had titled the video, like in the video, uh, it said like, oh, you cheated because you did the weight loss. And he's like, yeah, I cheated death. You know, it's like people need to just shut the fuck up sometimes with their opinions because you don't know what somebody's going through. Exactly. And there's always, at least like say that pains are like assholes. Everybody has one. And Mm -hmm. like people are always going to judge people and they don't know where this person started at or reason why they're at where they're at, you know? And another thing too is like, I think I can't remember who, I think it was JC. We talked to this guy named JC, I want to say, and he was talking about how like, no, it wasn't him. It was Kamal. And he had lost like uh, X amount of weight. And then some people would be like, oh, you know, you didn't do anything. And he's like, you don't know where my starting point was at. Yeah. So it's just like the whole thing, like my whole thing now is just be kind to everybody because you just don't know people's paths. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Somebody made a post not too long ago and in it, in the comment section underneath their post, they said, you know, I, I hate to be this type of person, but I needed to say this. Uh, it really bothers me sometimes when people are saying, you know, keep doing what you're doing or keep going. And, you know, you're doing great, but in in a sense that you're not finished yet. Mm. And he took that to heart because he was like, how do you know I'm not finished? How do you know this isn't where I want to be right now? I've already lost 200 pounds and I'm happy. Yeah. So maybe that's a little bit sensitive, but I get where he's coming from. You know, it's, just do your best to be kind and support people and hopefully people will take it at face value and, you know, accept it for what it is. The fact that they even stop by for a minute to comment means a lot to me. Yeah. Um, I, I really enjoy just seeing the people that are just massively supportive. They really are. So have you had a lot of people reach out to you and tell you that your, you know, your post or whatever has inspired them to get on a fitness journey? I have actually, I've had six or seven, probably, to be honest, um, a couple of them, one of which I actually sent my entire workout regimen down to like every detail that I could think of. I emailed it to him because he said he was having the same problems that I was. And we had a lot of, uh, a lot of things in common and he just didn't know a lot about working out. So I sent him everything that I could to try to help him out. And I see him, you know, posting, uh, not every day, but fairly, you know, fairly frequently. 
and he's in the gym and he's working out and he's doing his thing. And I'm, I'm very happy for him. So yeah, there's been a few of them that have said that, you know, it's, I, I love watching what it is you're doing. And I'm very open and honest about them. I said, look, you know, I did, I lost the weight, but at the same time I screwed up and it's okay. I screwed up. I gained 50, 60 pounds back and I'm going to go do it again, you know, and I'm not doing it for <laughs> any other reason than just, I really wish I hadn't screwed up. So I'm going to, I'm going to fix this and I'm not going to let this happen again. There's so, a guy I follow online. His name is Ed, Ed something. I can't, he's kind of like a um, Bradley type character. Um, he's very uh, positive or whatever. And his dad mm-hmm. had addiction issues and he's like, dad, are you going to drink today? And he's like, are you ever going to drink? Are you ever going to drink again or do drugs or something like that? And he's like, all I can do is say, I'm gonna, not going to do it today. And mm-hmm. then like, oh, yeah, you just right. take that day and day and day and day and day. Cause like, it's the same thing with the weight loss or anything. That's just a constant. You got to be consistent with it. Yeah. And like you said, it's mental. I honestly believe it's about 90% mental. And if you aren't mentally strong enough to do it, then you need to be surrounded by people who are, which is why I was so lucky. Everyone from, you know, my parents to my wife, to both of my kids, they were all just so incredibly supportive. And they would tell me daily, Hey, you're looking better. You know, let's, let's go to the gym today. And um, They wouldn't go out of their way to like, you know, to want these like pasta dishes or something. And they, they knew I couldn't eat or bring home donuts or something, you know? Um, although every Friday, and I think this is very important and it works for me. I don't know if it'll work for anyone else, but every single Friday during that entire weight loss, I ate a large pizza, thin crust, but still, because I was burning off so many calories that I think a cheat day is very important. Cause if not, you'll find that there come, becomes a point when your body stops losing the fat. It's got, it goes into the starvation mode and it just holds on to it. And you, you hit this wall and that can really mess with you mentally. Having that cheat meal, even if it's once a week or once a month or whenever you do it, it's good for you because it keeps you on track, whether it's just the reward system or if it's just letting your body know it's okay to continue to lose weight. Because every time I ate that large pizza on a Friday, the next day I would have lost a pound. Mm. Yeah, because there's a guy uh, we had on here. His name is Vach, and he made a video the other day, and he was talking about when he first started losing weight and the mistakes he made. And he said that the one of the main things he wished he wouldn't have done was cut everything out. Mm-hmm. And I think you well, you do need to reward yourself because if you don't, you're going to fall off the wagon. And then sometimes when people fall off the wagon, they're like, oh, "Well, I'll start tomorrow," or "I already fucked mm-hmm. up. Let me just keep going." And then oh, they I'm absolutely keep, that person. Yes. Yeah. So you have to, you have to have a, like, it's one of those things where it didn't come on overnight. It's not going to go away overnight. Yeah. And I think a lot of people tend to not understand that. And as, especially as a guy, when you go into the gym and you remember, ah, I used to be in shape and you go into the gym and you have this ego about you and you want to look good and you want to, you know, impress yourself or the people that you think are looking at you. We all have that spotlight effect, even though nobody's really looking at you, but we all think that they are. So we want to lift heavy. And, and then we're so sore the next three, four days that we don't go back to the gym again and we screwed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ego is a, like I said, I think we have to have ego, but you have to have it justified and in check. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just be true to yourself. I mean, I went into the gym this last time, two months ago when I first started and I knew I'm going to lift like an old grandma for the first two weeks because I absolutely do not want to end up where I am sore and my shoulders are popping and I, I can't move my arms. And 
because then I won't go. But yeah. I did. I went very light and I was able to go every day, five days a week for the first two weeks. And then I felt good and I was able to start ramping up from there. First time I'd ever done it right. Yeah, that's so true, man. Like I, I said, so the ego is a it's a funny thing. You know, like it can it can ruin us or improve us. Yeah. I mean, it's good to have confidence, right? But you don't want to be that person that's just too a little, a little too cocky. Yeah. Like I saw this one guy, he said, uh, the thing about ego is have an ego, but justify your actions behind it. Yeah, absolutely. So where did you go as far as the military goes? You said you went to Korea and you went to uh, Middle East. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I actually spent a year in Korea doing my short tour. And um, I went to Kuwait and Saudi on two separate uh, deployments. Um, I was actually fortunate enough to get a, a job here at Keesler, um from 98 to 2002. And I was an instructor for global command and control systems. And that job with it came the ability to travel. And so during that time, I would travel between two and five weeks at a time. And I went to Korea, Japan, Germany, um, Hawaii. I went stateside all over the place. But wow. after my short term, after my short term deployment, I went to Korea for three years. I mean, I'm sorry, not Korea, Hawaii for three years. So, <laughs> That's what, awesome, was, what was Korea like? <clears throat> you know, Korea, in, in my personal opinion, if you're single, Korea is going to be a blast. You can have a lot of fun. I went to Osan Air Base. Okay, I didn't go to the the uh, army bases or anything like that. Air Force tends to be a little bit different from what I understand. They treat you right or whatever. But uh, there's a lot of clubs. There's a lot of uh, things to buy, a lot of fun to have. But if you're married with a pregnant wife at home, it's not the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> I did not get out enough and experience the culture like I would have liked to have. Um, being that I was in Taekwondo for 13 years as a South Korean martial art, I would have liked to have gone out and actually seen things. But, you know, it, it was what it was. All I wanted to be was back home again. So I could have made more of it than I did. So as far as the differences, like what did you appreciate there and what did you miss from here, from home? Uh, the differences there? Um, well, I guess one of the oddest things was when they, they they still protest the fact that Americans are over there, but their protests aren't violent outbursts of anger and, you know, get out of our country. They're more peaceful protests and they want to be heard. And it's mostly the college aged uh, people. They want to be heard and they want you to know that they don't want you here. But then as soon as it's over, they welcome you into their shops. Mm. So it's. It's a little bit different. Their culture is different. Um, I don't really know how to explain it, but I don't know if it's them being fake or if they're being real, but they seem like very nice people. Okay. And I enjoyed going out and buying this stuff. Honestly, it was really cool stuff that you can't buy here. Yeah. I always tell people like traveling is one of the, the most important things one should do because like I said, it, it just opens your eyes to a lot of things that, especially he, we, we as Americans take for granted, like, especially like a lot of our, our, our freedoms. Um, and like just the financial ways that we have is like, there's a lot of people in other countries that are living a lot less than we are. And they yeah. seem happier too. Cause I think a lot of people here, they, they see they're always trying to keep up with other people. You know, yeah. like it's a whole keeping up with the Joneses thing. I also don't think a lot of times and, and not to really 
go down this path, but I don't think people really understand the freedoms that they do have here simply because um, there was a guy that uh, he, he grew up in China. So when he came here, he got a job teaching us uh, virtual machines. Uh, it was something that I did while I was in the military. And so he basically sat next to me every day. We got to know each other pretty well. He taught me how to do, you know, the job that I was about ready to do. And one of the things he said that kind of struck me was in China, you are basically given a choice to have one career mm. and you're going to go to school for that career. And that's it. You don't get it choice you're not going to change and just decide i'm going to change my major and go be this now it's not like that you're going to do this job and that's going to be your job for the rest of your life i just thought that was really weird yeah it's like you're born to a class pretty much yeah yeah i don't know any more about it than that so if i've misspoke then i have but that's the story he told me well i mean i've heard that about other places it's something similar like once you're born into a certain way of like that's your ceiling I think yeah. here there is other outlets that people can do other things, but sometimes I think it's your environment too. Like if mm-hmm. you're only around people that only think they're going to reach a certain thing, more than likely, if you don't think outside the box, you're probably going to do the same path. And that's right. why a lot of people are getting in trouble because they only hang out with people who are getting in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. You should definitely surround yourself with people who are going to, uh, you know, elevate you and hopefully you'll do the same for them instead of surrounding people that are just trying to bring you down because they're in a bad way themselves. Did you ever notice this as far as like people bringing you down when you first started trying to lose weight, people were like, Oh no, just stay the way you are. You're fine. (laughs) I never had any negativity. And what's funny is I haven't had any negativity on Instagram either. I cannot stand social media. I don't have a Facebook that I use. I don't have a Twitter that I use. I have them, they're in my name, but just to have them. So nobody else has my name, right? Mm -hmm. I only use Instagram and I was so surprised by the fact that people weren't negative about, so far anyway, any of the posts or the stories that I've uploaded, it's all been positive. And the only time I've seen any negativity for anything that I posted, I did this reel. I've only done like two or three reels because I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't. I did this reel where it was the rock doing this little 30 second motivational speech. And all I am is driving my car on my way to planet fitness. And I end the reel with me pointing my car towards planet fitness and the speech. The gist of it is that nobody's going to outwork. me. Uh, I don't care who you are. You can work as hard as you want, but you won't outwork me. I'm always going to work harder than you and everyone else. And that's that. That was the only time I got any negativity. And 99% of that was hatred for the rock. It wasn't towards me. People love to hate him. I was so surprised. He seems like a great person to me. I don't know him personally, but I mean, he always seems very positive. Yeah. Oh, I'm telling you that it was crazy. I had to delete some of them. Really? The hatred for the rock was just mind blowing. I couldn't believe it. There was a couple of people and I left them comments on there who I talked down because their initial comment was very hateful. And then I talked to them about what it is that I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And they came back and said, you know what? Thanks a lot. I really appreciate you explaining to me what you're doing. Yeah. Like I don't understand why people would want to go on someone's page, consume the minute or 14 seconds, 15 seconds, whatever it is. And then write a comment instead of just like, if you don't agree with it or whatever, just don't look at it or don't Mm -hmm. reply. Like you're wasting so much energy that you could be doing something else to for what to make somebody feel bad. 
Yeah. Does that make you feel better? I think it does. And I also noticed that every single person that left a negative comment on that reel, when I went to click on their profile, because I wanted to see, you know, how big and bad they were, that they just decided that, you know, what I'm doing isn't worth it because I'm going to Planet Fitness and not some, you know, really cool gold gym or something. Every single one of their accounts was private. <laughs> so, so it's like they, that speaks volumes. Yeah. It's like they can dish it out, but they can't take it. They can be the yeah. hammer, but not the nail. Because exactly. I guarantee you those same people, if you were to go to their job and berate them, they'd be like, what? Why are you doing that to me? <laughs> it's like I always say, you got to go to the golden rule. Like, do one yeah. to others as you want done to you. Like, like, just be good. Like, there's no reason to shit on somebody because mm. they're doing something positive. Like, you're doing something positive. You're trying to inspire people. It takes courage to put yourself out there. For one, to post your pictures of yourself online. Mm-hmm. And then for somebody to just go to shit on the rock <laughs> because why? Cause they're jealous of him. Yeah. And that had to be it. I mean, I was just so surprised by that, but again, most of the people, pretty much everyone is, and I have people on my page that DM me on a normal basis from England, from South Africa, um, from all over the States, people that I don't even know. In fact, somebody just commented on a story that I posted yesterday and I just simply said that, you know, this guy answered a question that I had put out there. What are you going to be working out today? And he answered. And so I said, hey, please follow this guy. I've been looking at his account a lot. He has a lot of positivity he's putting out there. Seems like a really nice guy. Follow him. And he replied to that and said, you know what? This is what I love about this community. People that don't even know each other going out of their way just to say something nice about, them, you know, yeah. about somebody. And and that's really what it's all about. It's just trying to use that platform to elevate other people and to let them know that, you know, you've been there and it's okay. You know, it's hard. Of course it's hard and just keep working at it. It'll, it'll work itself out. You can do it. Well, I think I know that sounds cliche, but it's true. No, I think that's true. I think it's one of those things where it's like they say, hurt people, hurt people. And you know, they always say (laughs) that there's a lot of negativity online, but it's just small pockets of the people. Those are just the loudest people. There's a That's lot of the people. Thing. There's a lot of people that are doing good. There's a lot of people that have good things to say, but they just don't say it. Yeah, and there's this new thing they're doing on Instagram. I noticed where it's an anonymous link. Have you seen that? And so you you click on it, and it's an anonymous post where you can basically tell that person whoever allowed you to post to their story anonymously. You can tell them whatever it is you want, and they'll never know who you are. Oh, okay. And so it's a little it's a little hard though because. 90% of the time that I've seen it, it's been women that put this anonymous link on there and they get a lot of positive feedback. Oh, you're beautiful. You're this, you're that, you know, but I also see the negative side too, that they'll share. And one woman in particular said, you know what? I said, my daughter wanted to do it. And she said, um, you might want to caution her about that because it really took its toll on me today. There was a lot of people that said some pretty hateful stuff to me Really, and she didn't share it. Yeah. Mm. But hey, you know, if you can't be held accountable, you'll say Do some nasty whatever. things to people. Yeah. Well, it's just like the people you mentioned that are behind a, a wall. Like they're going to yeah, say cowardice stuff, but they probably wouldn't say it to your face. Yeah. So it's just like, I think online people don't really look at people as people, if that makes any sense. Like you're no, just it's an true. avatar, you know, and then in real life, generally people are nice. Because like they, I, I see a lot of famous people say that they hear no hate whatsoever, but then they get online and that's where they see hate. 
Yeah. Joe Rogan's one of those people. He mentions that he said he, he posts something and then he leaves it. He does not look, he used to do it, but he doesn't look at any of the replies because there's just so many hateful people out there. Yeah. And, and it was really you, taking its toll. Yeah. And if you have as many followers as he does, you're definitely going to have some people that want to ruin your day. Yes. And Absolutely. sex <laughs> I looked at one of his recent comment things and it was just bot after bot after bot. It was terrible. Uh, My favorite is when I, when somebody posts something or I'll post something and the bots will already respond before it even up posts, uploads to Instagram. I'm like, how the fuck? Like, Jesus. Okay. I've noticed that too. And I thought maybe it was just me because you're in the moment, right? You're getting ready to create this post and I see like seven likes will pop up. And I'm like, okay, that's odd. Maybe they liked a story that I put out or something. Yeah. But no, they've liked it before I even posted it. Yeah. It's like uploading and it's already getting the likes from the bots. Damn. <laughs> well, that's what it's kills me about the, I know he just backed out of the deal, <clears throat> but the Elon Twitter thing, and he was talking about there was a lot of bots on there, but it's the same thing for Instagram and for fate. Well, Facebook and Instagram are one, the same pretty much, but mm-hmm. you know yeah. that a lot of the accounts aren't active. But yeah. they want to keep those numbers because numbers bring them dollars. Because like right. even like I've never deactivated my Facebook, but I've heard people deactivate it. But they you can't completely delete it, so it's still that number is still going to be active towards their like McDonald's <laughs> one billionth burger type number, whatever they fucking still they're still counting burgers for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't want to take up too much of your more of your time. What are you doing, man? It's amateur over here. Over here, I'm sorry, Jamie. Uh, you're fine. I actually deemed him a little more. I'd be a little bit late. Uh, what uh, What's your advice for people? And what mark do you want to leave on the world? Oh, good questions. Um, uh, my advice to people is if you don't have a strong support t- system, find one. You know, uh, whether it be in real life, which is obviously preferable, your family, your friends. Um, other than that, if you haven't gotten online and at least made an attempt to reach out to people who are going through the same thing as you and, and attempting to better themselves, then there are, there, there is a community out there that, that is very supportive. And if you look at my page at all, it is those people that are constantly either sharing the story that I put out or making a comment saying, Hey, you're killing it, man, beast mode, this and that. And it's not just platitudes, you know, it's, it's genuine remarks because they're taking the time to actually say, Hey, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. And I appreciate that. And so find a support system, however you have to do it. Don't think you're cheating. If you're going to go do the laparoscopic surgery, don't think you're cheating. If you're getting the gastric sleeve, you're not. Okay. You got to do what you got to do. Right. Um, as far as the mark, I want to leave in my world. Um, that would be my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I want them to succeed. I want them to be happy and however they need to do whatever they need to do to obtain that, um, marry the right person, have children or don't have children. Of course I want grandkids, but you know, um, and surround themselves with people that are going to do for them what they're going to, you know, do in return and, and elevate them and make them better. Um, get a good education, be able to stand on your own two feet and not rely on assistance from, from others, if at all possible, there's always those times where we have to do that and that's fine, but you know, do your best to, to kind of pay it forward, you know, do nice things for other people and pay it forward. And hopefully you'll leave your mark and your mark will be your kids and, and so on. So yeah, just my kids and they're both doing amazing. That's awesome. 
Yeah, I think I think the kindness and just being a good person is the core of everybody should strive to be. Like mm-hmm. it's nice to have things and all that, but having nice things does you no good on your deathbed. Yeah, and you don't want you don't want to have that legacy of oh, I hated that person. I'm glad they're not here. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you always want people to have good things to say about us. Because I know this one guy says his whole thing he wants to do is have people at his funeral to, to have say nice things about him. <laughs> because like all his possessions and stuff, as far as we know, I mean, we can't take it with us. So leave a legacy of goodness. Yeah, no, that's true. And if you're constantly complaining about the people that you work with, and you switch jobs and you got other people that you work with, that you don't like, and you've gone, to, you know, and you've the people that you're surrounded by, you've always got things to complain about. Maybe you should probably look inwards and maybe it's not the people that you're surrounding yourself with. Maybe it's, you're not putting enough of yourself out there and being kind to people, you know? Yeah. You definitely may not always be the other person. I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day and I said, uh, uh, this guy, this guy, a friend of ours always says like the shittiest gifts. Um, no, um, the best gifts come in the shittiest packaging. And to me, that sounds <laughs> yeah. like you're just making excuses for your shitty actions. So maybe mm-hmm. you should take a little accountability for the things you do. Like some, yeah. most stuff that we do is our fault, like either good or bad, or is, is a product of what we've done. Right. So it's like do good. And then generally, if you do good, you can't, con- you can only control your actions. You can't control other people, but at least as you're doing something positive or on the right path, you know, you're keeping your side of the street clean. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You can only control your actions, not other people's. So, you know, just be your best version of yourself. And that's, I know that's all I'm trying to do is just be a better dad, be a better father, be, you know, be a better husband. I mean, just, uh, try to be more active. That's why I lost the weight initially. Just want to be more involved. And when I was able to first actually get on those roller coasters, I mean, it made a huge difference. You know, it's like I was able to partake in the life, not just sit back and watch it go by. Yeah. So where can everybody find you at? I'm only on Instagram at let's witness your fitness. And I call it that because I really just want to see other people going through this journey that I'm trying to go through and seeing if there's even one or two people out there that I can help. And I don't want anything. I just want them to actually like know that they can do it. And achieve whatever level of success they're trying to achieve, whether it be losing weight, gaining muscle, just feeling healthier. It doesn't really matter just as long as they're feeling better about themselves. But yeah, that's, that's it. I don't do Facebook or Twitter or anything else. Yeah. I think you having this page is a good outlet because if somebody sees you currently, they're like, Oh, that guy's in shape. What is he talking about? Like if they see you in person, (laughs) but then if they see your picture, your before and after, and they're in that predicament where they've thought about losing weight or they know somebody they can share their page with them. And then that might spark their brain to start some, their own journey. Absolutely. That would be nice. I appreciate that. So uh, before we go, uh, is there anybody you want to give flowers to? Because I, I recently saw this thing online where they talked about how, like, we don't appreciate people enough while they're here. And then sometimes, like, you know, when somebody passes away, that's when you say good things about them. Like... So now we should start telling people how we appreciate them and all the good things we think about them while they're able to enjoy it. Cause I mean, there's no guarantee what happens to us once we leave. So is there anybody in your life that you would love to give flowers to? Oh, you know, I really like that sentiment. Um, I hadn't heard it before and 
Yeah, absolutely. There's um, there's quite a few people who have been there for me since the beginning, um, even when I wasn't doing well, you know, always just uh, standing by me and supporting me. You know, when you're when you're close to people and you see them every day, sometimes they don't see what you're going through because they're right there with you and they're too close to really see the whole picture. Um, so for me, it was sometimes they would try to help me and I didn't really notice that they were trying to help me or why, because I didn't see it. I didn't see that I was having an issue with my weight or with anything else. And then there was times where I thought I was doing a great job and maybe they didn't see the changes that I needed them to see. So I kind of just was like, well, nobody cares. I'm just not going to do it anymore, you know? Um, but yeah, absolutely. So I, I kind of just, um, I'd have to say to begin with for my, for myself, it'd be my mom, uh, from a young age, like she was always pushing me. She used to own a horse stables, um, up until I was about seven or so. And she likes to tell me that she literally rode horses up until the day before I was born and had like apps. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I know I thought it was kind of crazy, but she's always been such a hard worker and she, you know, she's really driven me to do the best that I could and, and, and mostly be in good physical shape. And, uh, it started out when I was really, really young. And then, um, when she got together with my dad, he's technically my dad, I was 10 years old, Jess, um, they actually put together for me like an incline, um, sit up thing, like a board that you can lay on and you can make it almost near vertical. I had that, I had a heavy bag, a punching bag. I had a weeder, like home gym. So they were always there from the very beginning to help me keep in shape. They enrolled me in martial arts classes when I was 10. And so that really helped me out when I was younger. And that, that really stayed through me um, for the most part of my, my whole life. Um, so I would definitely have to say my mom and my, my dad. Um, and, you know, I didn't really start struggling with my weight until I left for Korea a month after my wife, Julie, and I got married. We got married and... I immediately got deployed to Korea. She was pregnant with uh, Amber, my youngest. And then, of course, Erica, my oldest, she was seven at the time. And uh, that really just put me into this depression where I started, you know, drinking a lot, not taking care of myself. And in that year, I gained 60 pounds. And that was really the beginning, the first time that I'd ever struggled with my weight. And so when I came back, I'm sure to her, I was almost unrecognizable. You know, you gain 60 pounds inside of a year without seeing each other, really. And, uh, and that's a pretty significant amount. Yeah. Uh, so my wife, for sure, huge, huge supporter. Uh, when we moved to Hawaii, which I know that sounds like, oh, no, they lived in Hawaii. It's terrible. <laughs> but <laughs> we moved to Hawaii. We lived there for four years. And it was during that time I actually got deployed to the Middle East. Um, and I had lost about 40 or so pounds, I think, while I was there. Um, I had a group of friends that kind of just followed me around the gym. We all got in really good shape. And I was kind of starting back towards, you know, getting in shape. And when I moved, when I came back from deployment, my oldest daughter, Erica, she started running with me every day. And I bought another weeder machine. It's got a crossbow and it's like all electronic. And it's very small. And so I was able to um, work out on that with her every day. And then she and I would go run every night together. And that was, you know, pretty cool. And she's pretty young at the time. Uh, I think she was seven. No, she was nine at the time. So um, she really helped me out. She motivated me quite a bit while we were there. And, you know, I was on again, off again. I was doing okay. We moved to Texas, my next station. And I actually had the opportunity to uh, to manage a rock climbing gym while I was there. 
And so both the girls really got into great shape, even though my youngest, Amber, was only three, three and a half years old at the time. She was climbing a hundred foot wall on her own with me on belay. Mm. And uh, Erica got, yeah, and Erica got really good shape. I mean, she was to a point where we could have put her in competitions even. But I never partook. I didn't start doing the rock climbing. And I would get into shape, but then not really good shape. I was still too, too overweight. And it wasn't until 2008 when I got out of the military, we moved here to Mississippi, that I started trying to take it seriously again. And Erica would go to the gym with me every day. She was motivating me, um, keeping me, you know, eating good, working out with me every day. So she was like my rock. And I guess I've always needed that person in my life to motivate me, which can be good if you have those people. Um, but it can be bad too if you're the type of person that doesn't really appreciate, you know, the people in your life that will help you, right? True. Um, but you know, I was still kind of up and down. And so that lasted for the next like nine years. Um, I just, I took it seriously at time from time to time. And then I didn't. And then in 2017 on December 31st, I was like, I'm just going to be done with this. I flipped a switch at the time, Amber, um, she was like 13 at the time. And she decided, you know what, I'm going to go with him. And so she went to the gym with me every day. Um, we got up at three o'clock in the morning. We'd go lift, we'd go run. I had her running three miles at one point every day on the bridge, what we call it, this huge, huge, tall bridge between Ocean Springs and Biloxi. And to the point where she kind of got sick one time and we let off a little bit after that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she was getting up with me at three o'clock every morning. We'd go eat at Denny's, believe it or not, a nice healthy breakfast. And then she'd get ready to go to school. So always right there by my side. And, uh, because of her in 418 days is what it took me. And I lost 150 pounds and ended up making that weight three days before her 15th birthday. Damn. Yeah. And that's just through diet and exercise. And I didn't do any kind of crazy keto diet. It was really just eating right. Still eating a large pizza every Friday. is my cheat day. Just working hard. How rewarding is that cheat day to you? I think it's so important. Um, when you stick to something as strict as some of these diets, now there are diets, there are people who are doing like gastric bypass surgery. They have the gastric sleeve. They are limited on the amount of food that they can take in. And so they have to be very careful with these things, right? When you're just doing a normal diet and exercise and you're being strict, whether it be your, you know, your caloric intake as a whole, or you're trying to do keto or whatever, if it works for you, I believe that a cheat day, like once a week or once every two weeks, however you can manage it, is super important. Because, you know, you, if you reduce all that fat, right, you're taking in less fat, your body goes into like a starvation mode where you'll find this, this place where your body just kind of stops losing weight, you plateau, and you can't lose any more weight. Well, it's because your body's scared that if it keeps losing weight at this level, then it's going to starve. So not only is it rewarding for you physically because your body's going to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to be all right. I've got calories now and I'm going to help you drop weight. I'd, every day I would, I would uh, weigh in on the day after my cheat day. I had always lost a pound. It's that's, kind of weird, but. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really awesome. Yeah, it's weight. emotionally. Yeah. Yeah, it was a thin crust pizza, but it was a large and I'd eat the entire thing, you know, and I was still eating subways back then when we were done with the gym and I was on my second workout of the day because we do a workout in the morning and I'd go work out in the afternoon and I was eating two subway foot long, like chicken breast sandwiches and at one sitting because I was just, you know, starving. I was that hungry. 
So you can eat healthy and you can eat a lot of food and still lose weight. It's just what you eat. Yeah, it's like they always say, like, people are like, I got to do keto. I got to do, you know, name caveman or whatever the fuck it is. As long as you're in a calorie deficit, you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and one more person just to, um, I wanted to mention is my uh, my nephew, Corey. Now, there was this time in my life where I was gone a lot. You know, I was in Texas. I was in Hawaii for four years. So we'd go years without seeing one another. But he was always there kind of making sure that, Hey, you know, you're, you're, he would always tell me straight, right? He's like, dude, you gained so much weight since the last time I saw you, uncle, what's up, what's going on? And he wanted to go to the gym with me. Like as soon as we saw each other and he's like, man, I remember back when you were like in martial arts and you're doing all this cool stuff and, you know, show me how you used to kick the bag and everything. And it was so hard for me because I was so heavy back then. Right. Mm. Well, now I see him, he's 30 now and I see him, you know, every couple months or so. And he's starting to really get in good shape as well. And he was never overweight or anything like that. But now it's like when we see each other, it's that's our thing. We go to the gym and we just try to kill each other. <laughs> we do the best that we can to just destroy each other, right? And it's so much fun because it's it's fun to like bond at that level where you can just really go and, and work out and and then like eat like crazy afterwards, right? Yeah, it's good to have somebody in your life that's a, a driving factor. Like I said, yeah. it's not always an easy conversation to have with somebody when you see they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. But I always say I'd rather hurt somebody's feelings in the short term than let them go down a path long term just trying to spare their feelings. Because I think a lot yeah. of people do that in life. They It also comes in what kind of place you're coming from. If you're coming from a mean or hateful place, that's one thing. But if you're coming from a place of true concern, I think that's one of the best things you can do. Because I think we all need some kind of constructive criticism and, and guidance, you know, so... If somebody is to tell you, hey, you know, this is not your best form, you know, maybe you need to do some things to get back on track. Because a lot of times it's it's not easy to see that, like when we're slipping off, like you don't notice it right away. Like somebody else, especially if they haven't seen you in a while, they're going to notice it. somebody that sees you all the time. Right. And so just the opposite, the, the one person who's been there with me for the last 20 years, we're literally coming up to our 20th anniversary here in a couple of weeks. And she has been put in that position with me where she, she's, she sees me every day and she'll say things like, I didn't really notice you were gaining so much weight. Mm-hmm. You know, it's my wife, Julie. And it's because she loves me. She didn't want to hurt my feelings. She, she would always be like, Hey, I'll, I'll cook you whatever. We can do this diet. We can go low fat. We can go keto here's a bunch of recipes and she'll cook. And, you know, she was always there to support me, but it was always very difficult for her to tell me the truth as far as, Hey, you need to stop. You're coming up on 400 pounds and your health is really starting to decline quite a bit. And now I've got to say something. And there were times where she'd say something a little bit, but when it comes from somebody like your wife, or your husband, you know, somebody that really have that, that emotional connection with it, it's really hard to hear, you know, and it can hit you one of two ways. You're either, it's going to devastate you and you're going to be like, why would you ever do that to me? Right. Or it's going to motivate you to do the right thing. She's mm-hmm. always been there to support me. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's a, it's a happy balance or how, ha- you know, it's kind of a dance when you bring up something that's sensitive to people. Yeah. But like I said, I don't, I think if you let somebody go down a destructive path and then they end up passing away because of lifestyle behaviors. I think that would affect you more than the hurt feelings that they're having a little bit of time. Yeah. And you know what? Her father-in-law moving in with us for the last two years of his life, 
Um, he was extremely overweight mm-hmm. and to the point where he couldn't really take care of himself. He couldn't shower on his own. Uh, he was having trouble walking. He was diabetic and just had a lot of, of illnesses. He had a valve that was leaking in his heart. And so we took him in for the last two years and we helped him lose 95 pounds of his weight. Oh, wow. wow that's um, awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I really believe that we helped him extend his life for at least another year or so Yeah. Um, because he was doing so poorly. But he got to the point where he was just really, you know, just looking pretty good. And, uh, you know, the food kind of got the better of him where he would go and he'd, he'd cheat by going to Walmart or something and eating whatever he wanted and, you know, sneaking food when we didn't know. It's it's a bad place to have to be in where you're trying to tell your your dad or your mom or somebody at that level, you know, not to eat because you're their kid. Right. But mm-hmm. when they're in that kind of shape, you kind of have to. And I think we actually did a pretty decent job with him. He, um, he had lost quite a bit of weight and, and did well for himself for, you know, the last year or so. So what would you say to somebody that you see that they're not like they say they're doing something, but obviously, you know, they're not. I've kind of done this online a couple of times and it's only because they've asked, they've said, you know, I could really use the motivation or, um, you know, what would you recommend? And I say, first thing I tell them is I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not any kind of a health expert at all. You need to talk to your doctor about this, but the first thing you need to do is flip that switch in your head and just stop making excuses. Mm -hmm. We all have stressors, right? We all have things that are going on that just suck, but you can definitely get up and make a little bit of time to move. You don't have to go to the gym. You don't have to be a gym bro. You know, you don't have to do that. If you can just get up and go walk your dogs, that's a great start. Yeah. You know, go to the beach with your, with your significant other and, and take a nice long walk. That's a good exercise. You know, start off small and doing things that you enjoy. But if you go to the gym and you absolutely hate it because you can't overcome the fact that you think everyone is looking at you, right? That spotlight effect, then maybe that gym isn't for you and you need to find a different way to do it. But it has to be something you want and you have to make that mental, that mental uh, start, right? You have to just make yourself go. There's nothing to it. You just, you just got to go do something. Yeah, because like I said, I think there's a lot of people that have like this. Um, they try to fake the funk, you know, like um, they want to tell you they're doing something. But like you you can your eyes are not lying to you when you see people, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like I said, I mean, it's not an easy conversation to have, I'm sure. But like I said, you like you even said, like you, there's no excuses. We all have some time. You just got to allocate the time. Yeah, absolutely. And you really just. I always said it was flipping the switch because to me it is, it's such a hard switch to flip Mm -hmm. because you really just have to be like one day I'm going to wake up and this is what I'm going to do. And nothing's going to deter me from that. Yeah. And I've seen that in both of my daughters before. I've seen that in my wife before. I've seen that in my mom. I saw that in my dad. He's recently down like 60 pounds. My mom has lost a bunch of weight. And it's something that I think just as a society, we kind of all struggle with because it's so easy to get high caloric, bad food for you. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like uh, it's one of those things where you have to have discipline, not just motivation. Exactly. It has to start from you. Yeah. Because everybody can motivate you. Everybody can help you. But you really have to be willing to accept the help and, and to do the work. 
Yeah, because like I, I love like the positive videos on Instagram, but if you're not putting them into play into action, there's no point of um, absorbing them because it's not. It's just it's just entertainment then. Yeah, right. And I I don't have a, a big following on Instagram, but I definitely keep in touch with. There's probably twenty or so of y'all now that I like to talk to fairly regularly because you can tell they're putting in the work. They're really trying. They're at the gym. They're they're taking the little gym selfies and they're they're giving back. They're trying to motivate other people and say, Hey, you know, if I can do it, you can do it too. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, uh, it seems like the community is pretty good because there's a lot of people that bitch about the internet and stuff like that, but it's just who you decide to connect with and who you want in your circle because you can have people that tear you up or build you up. And I think we all should want people to build us up and we should try to build people up too. So, oh, and you guys definitely do. There's, um, there's y'all as, as far as what you guys do. Um, I mean, look at what you did for, for Murphy. You know, he just, he just hit his, uh, his goal. He got yeah. under 200 pounds. Absolutely insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I mean, there's, there's enough room to be kind in this world. So why not to be kind? Yeah, I agree. Well, I appreciate you doing this. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, Thank you all very much. I, I really appreciate you giving me the chance. No, nah, man, it's all good. Um, uh, like I said, it's, um, it's I love hearing stories and people sharing their journeys with us and sharing with other people that listen to this podcast. So if you inspire one person, you've, you've already made a goal because I mean, all it takes is one, you know, I couldn't agree more. Cause like I said, there's a lot of people that don't, they don't even start, man. Unfortunately, they, they maybe don't have the outside influences or they don't have the internal to make them do it. Mm-hmm. But anybody that, like they said, don't laugh at anybody that's at the gym because they're not sitting on the couch. That's right. Remember when we talked about the UFC, all these people were like, Oh man, they're kind of goofy, right? Yeah. But they're harder than me. Cause I'm not out there. Out there doing it. <laughs> exactly, man. Exactly. Like I said, we got to do it again, man. I have another conversation, um, and then uh, we can just talk about whatever. I would look forward to that. Back when I meet my goal again, maybe uh, I'll see how you guys are doing, and <laughs> I'll have something more interesting to talk about. <laughs> uh, you're already interesting, so yeah, yes, we sir. just added on a little peppering. We'll just season it a little bit more. There you go. Well, thank you all again. You have a great day. You all too, right, man. man. Appreciate take you. it easy. All right, take care. All right, bye-bye. Bye. bye.